0: We play a happy song? Say happy song.
1: I'm so untouchable. I have a co host again, and I don't even know what to do to myself. Oh my god. This is awkward. I'm used to standing up. You're four foot tall. I will try it. I should have just had you stand in the chair so I can stand up. <laughs> what is up,
0: everybody? This is Gratitude Unfiltered, and
1: we're doing things a little different today because we have a very special show. Would you like to introduce yourself, Gabby? <laughs> and what's your, say your last name. Catch a because evidently...
0: It is one of these things, though, that I have two guests on that I can barely pronounce their last names like a buffoon, but I'm super excited to have you. We've done a live together before. Actually, I went on your Instagram platform. Yes. Yes. But today, we have a very special show, and I just want to welcome everyone to Gratitude Unfiltered. Lisa from London, good to see you, my friend, um, and everybody else that's listening right now on the podcast and online radio, and of course, Facebook, Welcome. You can join us live at facebook.com gratitude unfiltered and uh man this is going to be a fun show um fun insightful and i hope answers some questions for us you know
1: yeah
0: i um as you know this platform has been built off of truth and talking about some very uncomfortable things or some real life issues that i think affect a lot of people and it's important that we find answers because I like to be a human, what do you call it? A human test dummy sometimes. I, I, I've experimented with a lot of treatment methods. I've gone against what doctors have said in the past to try to discover my own way of treating some of the different things that have gone on with me and not always recommended. So I'm not going to talk about that because I never want to put anyone in jeopardy. But I have been on a quest of self-discovery and trying to understand how to make borderline personality disorder a superpower. And the reason why Gabby's here is, why are you here? Besides the fact that I just invited you to come on.
2: (laughs) I also have borderline personality
1: disorder.
0: Oh, yeah. So there's two (laughs) of us that have borderline personality disorder. And we both have our very interests. We both have our own stories with how it's affected our lives. But as we've gotten to know each other and become friends, we realize that we've gone through a lot of the same craziness. So I'm really excited about having our our guest on today. Um, She's incredible. I'm gonna read you a little bit about her before we bring her on. But Dr. Kate Balestieri, I think I said it right, is a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist in California and Illinois. She's a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor. She earned her doctorate of clinical psychology from the Illinois School of Professional Psychology Chicago with a concentration in forensic psychology. Holy, so this is a this is an expert. So you don't have to listen to anything I say, but she may be a good person to listen to. In the over 12 years of clinical experience, she has conducted clinical and forensic evaluations, served as an expert witness, and provided treatment in clinical, forensic, and correctional settings. Wow. In the private practice, Dr. Balistrieri works with adolescents, adults, and couples to address a variety of mental health concerns. In addition to individual and couples therapy, she conducts comprehensive cognitive and personality assessments, differential diagnosis evaluations and screenings for the presence of alcohol, drug addiction, or sex and love addiction, or compulsive relationship behavior. That one's a new one to me. Anyway, here's the the point of saying all that is, she's very well qualified to answer your questions um, and to have this discussion that we're gonna have today. So it is a real honor for me, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome the one and only Dr. Kate Ballastieri. I hope I said it right. Did I say it right?
3: You did, Ballastieri. Hi, it's so nice to be here with you guys. It's nice to meet you too. It's it's
0: it's. Hold on, let me fix this camera thing. Okay, so I'm not used hey. to doing uh, two people, so I got to get fit my big fat head in here <laughs> to make this work. But I'm really honored to have you here today. Uh, it, it means it's a lot. So welcome to the show. First, Thank you. first, doctor, what are you grateful for today?
3: Oh, God, that's an awesome question. Let me think about that today. um, I'm grateful for a lot of things, but I would say primarily having a sense of like reinvigoration. I was in this training all weekend and I left just feeling wildly uh, motivated and really excited for some things that we're going to put into uh, process over the next couple of months. So I'm feeling really motivated and grateful for that.
0: That's awesome. So what? What got? What? When did you first discover your love for this this field? Because this the field of psychology and psychiatry it takes you down some pretty interesting paths.
3: It does. I mean, I'll I'll tell you this is a second career for me, and wow. um, my first career was in selling insurance and employee benefit packages, which was nice and fun, but. You know, I just felt really. (laughs) Your face is great.
1: Um, I (laughs) I wasn't expecting that at all.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I was always um, somebody who was curious about true crime and about what compelled people to do the most horrendous things that we do as humans. So I felt really interested in understanding human motivation. And that's what led me down a path of working in the prison systems and working with. people who were really responsible for doing some of the most egregious things ever. I mean, I kind of fancied myself to be the next Clarice (laughs) and um, worked with serial killers and rapists and pedophiles and all of that for a long time in the prison systems. (laughs) Both of your faces are fantastic right now.
1: (laughs) Um, So.
0: Well, it's not about being shocked, but. I think both of us. I, 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 she can speak for herself, but that it's it's a fascinating place to be because we know that dark place. Right. Not. I don't. You have. you killed anyone? No, I have not. Okay, I haven't killed anyone either. <laughs> okay. I, thank God. But I do know that monster. Yeah. Like I. When I, we're gonna go into all this, but I I, I do know it so to meet the people that are fascinated it's like is interesting to me
3: yeah. well i really appreciate you saying that because i think as humans we're all capable of going there we all experience rage we all experience terror and fear and these are normal human biological imperatives but you know what allows people to Regulate themselves it really comes down to what kind of internal and external resources they have and how their brain develops and how they're impacted by Various traumas and there's so much trauma that we all endure that We don't even think about because when we think about trauma Usually people think about what we would call a big T trauma, right? Something that's really extreme like a sexual assault or being involved in a hurricane or a bad car accident you know people can identify those things as being a trauma, but more often than not we accumulate a lot of residual um, trauma experiences that live in our nervous system and so we adapt and you know how we adapt really shapes how we see ourselves how we see the world and how we're able to regulate some of those natural human biological impulses so i got interested in this work because i wanted to understand how trauma influences the way people um course their lives and what better way to investigate that than the people whose decisions have been really negatively impactful on the trajectory of their lives
0: okay real quick and you can jump in and ask anything you want like okay. i know you're new to the show but you can jump in at any time and ask. Okay. okay uh we didn't discuss this before the show because you know i don't plan um, so I don't
1: unscripted i love it
0: enjoy this if i had to plan for it um so i want to like how do you in dealing with this population, how do you protect yourself emotionally? Because I've had this history over my life in my radical dating life and and marriage life, um, Mm -hmm. which is marriage's life. Um, I've noticed that, especially the therapists that I've dated, they have a hard time guarding themselves from that dark side because they're going there so much Mm-hmm. and offering their self and trying this deep understanding and compassion and trying to help pe- pull people out of that, they get sucked in. How do you protect yourself from that?
3: Are you asking in, in reference to working in correctional populations or with people who have borderline personality disorder? I'm not-
0: talking about the people that have those little monsters like me.
3: Well, we all have little monsters if we're being honest. Um, but I, I think when we're the therapists i have a lot of monsters <laughs> <laughs> um when you're a therapist one of the things that i always talk about when i teach i've been teaching for about 10 years um and one of the things i tell my students and my staff here is that self-care as a therapist is not a luxury it's an ethical mandate and that's really important because we need to be well regulated as therapists so that we can be objective and show up for people in a way that doesn't take us out at the knees because Especially doing work with people who have experienced trauma like what I do now um, we can hear some pretty uh, tremendous stories and one of the things that really helps me stay balanced is recognizing the resilience that people evidence in addition to all of the negative things that have happened in their lives so you know really emphasizing on how are people um, you know, moving themselves through pain and getting to a place from just surviving into thriving. And that's really the work that I do is helping people kind of recognize their own skill set and build new skill sets where they're where they have deficiencies so that they can sort of shape that and as a therapist, I have to model that in my own life.
1: Right? Do you have any questions?
3: Not the moment. Okay, my, my so, brain's
1: like going
0: like, oh, okay. I had a feeling that yeah. this is <laughs> going to stimulate some things <laughs> in like, you. Okay. Anyway, I want to. I would love for you to explain to the audience the difference because borderline personality disorder is something that gets misdiagnosed a lot. Um, I've been diagnosed as schizophrenic. I've been diagnosed as bipolar. And um, in, in my interpretation of borderline, is that it's kind of a mix of everything. Do you mind, as a professional, as a doctor, mm-hmm. explain? borderline personality disorder
3: sure so first I want to say a couple of things about it so the name borderline personality disorder was originated a long 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 time ago before this condition was really well understood but what the original analysts were were thinking is that people who are afflicted with this condition kind of live on the border of fantasy and reality right (laughs) sometimes they have a difficult negotiating what is real and what isn't so I'm laughing what's funny
1: i'm
0: laughing because it hurts not
2: really not relatable at
3: all shame. yes no no shame and that's why i'm saying this because i think that's part of why borderline personality disorder has such a negative stigma attached to it because historically it was really poorly understood and now as we're starting to have more research come out we're really understanding that people with this condition are reacting to lots of complex trauma. So I, I hate the term borderline personality disorder. I have to tell you that label just, ugh, I think it's useless. I don't like um, it. Yeah, it, it feels very pejorative.
2: I thought it was dissociative identity disorder. I thought that's what they changed it to.
3: No, so dissociative identity disorder is a totally different condition that res- also results from a lot of complex trauma, but people's identities become really fragmented. <laughs> So they can experience what used to be called multiple personalities, right? They have others or alters. Um, But so from coming back to borderline personality disorder, what we understand now in the field is that this is a condition that's born out of a lot of complex trauma. So that means sometimes it could be big T traumas or those single incident events, but other times and more often it's an accumulation of a lot of little T traumas. So I call it death by a thousand pokes, right? Because mm-hmm. over time we just kind of experience all this stuff and we don't always have uh, you know, something to put our finger on and say, oh yeah, it was that one thing, that one life event that really pivoted my trajectory. Because normally um, people who have this condition have grown up with a lot of relational trauma or developmental trauma. And what I mean by that is a lot of inconsistencies or chaos or disorganization or things that really You know upended their ability to feel safe and so when somebody has a borderline organization as an adult i think about it as somebody who is really trying to make sense of their reality because oftentimes they grew up with a lot of crazy making or you know not being able to make sense of things because of whatever circumstances were going on and so it really complicates their ability to feel safe feel connected understand a sense of who they are regulate their moods Regulate any impulsive um, tendencies, and you're, you're both having some big reactions. So tell me What's going on as you're hearing this? I'm like, oh my because god! Because you're probably
0: sense. the most qualified person I've ever spoke to about this in my life, and you're saying all the things. I'm going, yep, 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 yep. I mean, seriously, I, and I'm not trying to cut you off because I want you to finish. But okay. I was diagnosed as schizophrenic, bipolar, depression, like all the works, and so therefore I was given all these medications for it. And as you're saying this, I'm going, oh, my God. I mean, like this could have been dealt with so much sooner. And it's frustrating. But this is why I'm outspoken and talk about these things, because people don't have to suffer anymore. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So please continue.
3: So I mean, really, you know, people with a borderline organization struggle with um, big fears around abandonment or feeling rejected. Whether those fears are real or perceived doesn't really matter. You know, there's just a lot of dependency fears because again, if we think about chronic and complex trauma, oftentimes growing up, if we don't feel secure in our family relationships or our early caregiver relationships, we are always terrified that we're going to be left without some sort of means of survival, you know, in a really like visceral biological way. So that creates a lot of tension for a growing nervous system. And I think that kind of sets a stage for All of the other symptoms of this condition to show up Um, so I think about chronic feelings of emptiness you know really working hard to ensure that um, relationships are the primary focus so people with this condition will often um, have a lot of volatility in their relationships because there's so much fear and desire to be in relationship and so there's a lot of push-pull right there's a great book out there called I hate you but don't leave me I think it was <laughs> kind of the perfect summarization of how people with this organization really feel because yes. they want relationships so much, and they're really passionate, wonderful people more often than not, and yet they're so scared that they do a lot of what we call intimacy-impeding behaviors, right? So, I really want you, but man, is it really scary, and wait, are you sure you want me? Are you, uh, uh, And so there's a lot of like... Hedging and pulling and pushing that can be really frustrating for partners who don't understand that this is, you know, um, a deep seated fear and not necessarily somebody's endeavor to be malicious, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. It does.
3: You both have these stunned looks on your face. Yeah. What's going on for
0: you? Because we kind of like, so for us, like, we I've never met anyone like me before, ever. Mm-hmm. When I say like me, someone that has a passenger or someone that has gone through similar trauma and expressed the passenger the same way. Mm-hmm. I met her through Instagram. Mm-hmm. And we've become really good friends because we kind of understand each other's language. Mm-hmm. So you're probably the third person that we've met right? <laughs> that understands us. Yeah. We, I'm, I'm convinced that this is a superpower. And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but like, it's just, really comforting to know that you understand, like you get it.
3: Yeah, I would say that there are a lot of professionals out there who really do understand it. And if you're somebody who's struggling with any of the symptoms of this organization, I think definitely reach out to a mental health professional who has experienced treating complex trauma because they're going to be the most in the know about what really is needed to help you get the resources you need to correct these relationship interfering behaviors and really give you a sense of organic comfort within your own skin.
0: Well, I'm coming to see you because you're right down the street from me. So <laughs> I, I'm. I'm there too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Clear schedule.
0: <laughs> I think I'm right over the hill from <laughs> you, so I'm coming to you um, because that's the other thing is I don't trust I don't trust doctors mm-hmm. or therapists.
3: Well, that's a really common of healing for people with borderline uh, borderline personality symptoms or traits because right when we think about it, if we grew up in an environment that was unsafe or unpredictable or chaotic, why would you trust what's going on around you? Why would you trust the people who are in a position of authority? And so one of the things that I work with when I'm treating people who have these traits or symptoms is really learning how to reality test around what is safe, how do I know it's safe, how do I assess this for myself, and how do I ask people for what I need so that I can develop trust and then assess if it's sustainable? Right. Wow.
2: Wow. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. So, and do you have a question? question. Uh-huh. okay.
2: I have a lot to say, but you you go. Okay.
0: I'm, I, so I want to talk about I want to I want to talk about this because I I. So the first trauma that I remember were my sisters leaving, and I thought it was again. I thought it was they just dis- in my brain they disappeared. Because mm-hmm. like, I was not given an explanation why they left. They were super close. Like, yeah, I've got this amazing family. Everything's great. Then they disappear right after that, molested by two men, mm-hmm. um, and then the physical abuse started.
1: Okay.
0: And then, so like that was like all within like less than a year that all happened.
3: That's a lot of trauma for anyone's lifespan, let alone in one year.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know when. Okay, hold on. So I, I have that, but I, I the way that I really try to understand everything that happened, like in this passenger, mm-hmm. do, you're familiar with the passenger, yes?
3: Why don't you tell me what you mean by it? Because I don't want to make a okay. sense.
0: So yeah, let me explain this. I feel like, so I, everyone talks about their shadowy figure.
3: Right.
0: My passenger feels different than my shadow. My passenger feels like something that comes inside me and completely takes over my body, okay. and then I'm on the outside watching myself do things okay yeah is that a shadow or is that a passenger
3: well I I don't know how you want to clarify that the way I hear it is that it sounds a bit like um, a a symptom of dissociation right which Uh when we feel overwhelmed we often can kind of dissociate step outside of ourselves and it becomes what's called a derealization so it doesn't really feel like it's happening to us we kind of come out and can watch it as if it's happening on a movie or to someone else so Okay. I, I'm not familiar so much with them. So
0: let me let me go further and explain them. Mm-hmm. So my passenger talks to me. Okay. Like it's a real person. Like it's sitting on the right side of my shoulder right now. Like okay. it's right there.
1: Yeah.
0: Like I can feel it because it's wanting me to like say a lot of unnecessary things.
1: Okay.
0: It talks to me and it tells me what to do. Mm-hmm. What I there's a difference of it's on the outside of my body now and I feel like it's in a protective place. Mm-hmm. I feel like it protects me. However, if I let it take over, then I become a monster.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it, it could be either, really. Um, that's, again, it's not clinical language that we use. So right. I think that's really about. It's how well. you-
0: I don't think that's in the, uh, what's the ICD 9 code? It's like, I don't think it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in the medical textbook anywhere. But that's what it is for me.
3: Well, what, what I'm hearing about? is that it's like a resource for you.
0: I feel like now, I feel like I've been able to kind of train it a little bit,
1: uh-huh.
0: but I feel like it protects me. Yeah. But if I let it take over, it doesn't. It tries to kill me. That's what I don't understand.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that you know, I don't want to turn this into a therapy session. Oh, so yeah. Far. Sorry,
0: I'll, I'll I'll schedule with you when we get off the air. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that you're not comfortable talking about that. That's fine. Because I don't I don't fully understand it either except for the fact that I know that it's real because I've lived with it my whole life.
3: Well, I think, you know, again, I, I, without making this about you specifically, oftentimes people can have kind of these, um, how do I want to call it, uh, we have an internal voice and sometimes it might feel like it's resting on our shoulder and it becomes, you can call it a superego voice or a higher consciousness voice or something along those lines if it's not kind of an external, psych- type symptom which it may or may not be for you I don't know Um, but you know it sounds like it's like a guiding principle and we all have an internal narrative that we can access and sometimes it is constructive and sometimes it's destructive and so that's something that might be a little bit louder for you than for other people or for people with borderline personality disorder it might be a little bit louder um, and require a little bit more negotiation and sort of how to make sense of it
0: Okay. That's accurate. That's fair. So now I want to get into something that's a little bit more not controversial. Well, maybe it is, but I want to get into the human sexuality side of borderline. Okay. Um, The reason why is because I've, you know, I have my belief system. I've, I've shared on here my faith. Everybody knows this. This is part of my ministry, but I've also been very public about struggling with my sexuality and not knowing if I was bisexual or straight for the longest time. And I, and I always relate it to is like, well, I was molested by two men. (laughs) It's like, like my, one of my earliest memories that's, that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the physical abuse, but at the time for years, it was all nightmares and night terrors, Mm -hmm. hauntings of this happening to me. And if you say anything, I'm going to blah, 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 you know, like, but then I discovered drugs and then all of a sudden those voices that 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 um, those taunts, those nightmares turn turn to fantasies. Mm-hmm. Can you discuss. Borderline like in sexuality and, the, and even the confusion around that, like is that is this something that's common, is this like what does that stem from? Can you can you answer that?
3: Well, I think what you're talking about is not necessarily related to having a borderline personality um, organization. Uh, it It could have some overlap, but what is very common for men who are sexually perpetrated against, especially by a male perpetrator, is to have some questions around their sexual orientation. I've worked with so many men who have been abused by other men and they question for the duration of their life whether or not they're gay, straight, or bisexual. And I think that that's a way that our brain responds to trying to feel some empowerment over situations where we generally feel very disempowered. So what can happen is called an identification with an aggressor, right? And that's a very unconscious way that our brain tries to kind of step into the role of being empowered as opposed to having something done to us. And so people often will develop fantasies Around a way in which they might have been perpetrated against that's their brains way of saying hey This didn't hurt me so much because now I like it Right, and if I can just gain mastery over it in fantasy or reality, it feels less threatening So this is a way that our brain tries to keep us safe from living in the terror of what's happened so again, I, I can't say that that's necessarily related to a borderline organization because many people without that condition also Will have sexual arousal to things that were done to them against their will later. Our bodies have biological responses to sexual behavior, whether or not we are willing participants in what's happening sexually. So, this is a very common misconception that comes up when people are talking about sexual trauma and sexual abuse, and often the source of a lot of pain for people because they'll say, Well, I had an orgasm when I was being abused and I don't understand why I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. I said no. And yet my body responded with an erection or with an orgasm or with lubrication. And unfortunately, our bodies are, um, you know, primitive systems. And so they respond to any kind of arousal and they can often feel people who are traumatized in that way can feel betrayed by their body's reactions. And so it can be really confusing when someone has sexual fantasy or arousal pattern to something that feels unsafe emotionally you both have these big expressions tell me what's happening
0: the the hell i i I would like for you to talk at some point yeah (laughs) the hell that i'm just sitting here just in awe because Mm -hmm. the shame I, I I know I, I'm surprised I I didn't kill myself. I honestly am, like even when I attempted with just with drugs, but mm-hmm. like I know so many people that have that have gone through similar things that, that I know three people off the top of my head that have killed themselves because of what happened to them as a child, that mm-hmm. confusion and then the shame that goes along with being confused sexually. Yes. Whether it's religious beliefs, family beliefs, where you grow up and it's hell. Like even now, even now where I I don't even want to have sex before I'm married
1: mm-hmm.
0: for the fourth time. Um, I, I don't want to do that because sex has been such a massive trigger. Like mm-hmm. the only way that I could have sex before was by being under the influence of something, mm-hmm. um, and and then the the the, the 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 even now the little triggers that happen,
1: mm-hmm. I
0: I hate them. I hate my freaking triggers, but they're ever existent, and I've been working to retrain them where I don't you know, okay, I've been triggered, now act. I've been reframing that. Mm -hmm. But they're still freaking there. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them. They're not welcome in my brain. I do not want that. But they happen.
3: Well, there's a lot of different things that people can do when they're experiencing these kinds of triggers. And I I don't know specifically what you're feeling triggered by, nor is this maybe the best platform to talk about it. But that's up to you.
0: I'll talk Uh, about anything on the show. Because if it helps people, I'm going to do it. I look pain. But, OK, go ahead and finish what you're going to say.
3: So what are, where I was going with that is that there are a lot of different treatments that people can access to try and reduce the amount of charge they feel when they have a trigger that comes up related to sexual trauma or any kind of trauma. Because what's happening, right, we we sometimes experience. Um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress, like uh, an intrusive thought or an intrusive memory. And that's what those triggers kind of are, right? And so when we experience those triggers, our body reacts in the here and now as if whatever happened in the there and then is going on right now. And so there are lots of treatments like uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR for short, that can help people reduce the amount of charge they feel to those, st- to those triggers so that it doesn't overtake you in the moment right if people can move through the experience and feel less activated and more vital in their their own sexuality or their own relationships
2: i mean i've done that i've done emdr Mm -hmm. it definitely did help with so i call them body flashbacks yeah um Mm -hmm. because i know i dissociate i'm like i'm a professional dissociator
3: Um, (laughs) i like that i might steal that term that's
2: But like I'm number one, so don't try to, you know, deem anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: I'll get a crown made for you. Thank
2: you. I'll oh need a platform. <laughs> and I have derealization, depersonalization. I've always known it, even before. Like I've been misdiagnosed so many times until I had memories of being sexually abused.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: One thing that still is it bothers me so much is that I feel like someone is touching me. Mm. Like how does that go away? Like, sometimes I feel like something coming out of me sometimes I feel like something's coming in me and sometimes I can't walk Mm -hmm. I don't understand why I go there when I know that I'm not there like my rational side is very strong but my body like my pain
3: body like loves pain yeah well you know it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of people can how do I want to say this um I don't want to pathologize this experience but a lot of people can do what's called pain shopping Um, and what I mean by that is our body can become addicted to some of the neurochemicals that are released when we experience pain and so some people have a a higher predisposition to seeking out experiences unconsciously that recreate some kinds of pain because it allows us to feel alive it gives some sensation now I don't know if that's what's happening for you or not um, but when we crave that kind of intensity on an unconscious level It can be really scary because we're like wait a minute this doesn't feel good i don't want this it's not what i'm seeking rationally but what happens is our traumatic experiences live in ourselves somatically and so a lot of people will try to heal their trauma with talk therapy and they can get really far in that process but i'm a big firm believer in the reality that we need to address what's happening somatically in order to really discharge some of those long-held residual um, experiences in the body because like you said you have these bodily flashbacks they don't make sense because that memory is encoded implicitly without a vocabulary attached to it the only kinds of memories that we can consciously say oh yeah that thing happened to me that's encoded in an explicit way and so it's a different kind of memory in a different way to address how we need to get into it in terms of releasing can't talk our way through something that doesn't have a vocabulary because it's implicitly and somatically stored
2: yes so I I worked so I'm actually just read a book about this and I've been working on it for a while now it's just really difficult like I know that you have to feel it to heal it so I just started reading this book and it's about how you know self-love and feeling things are the only ways you're actually going to get through on this so I didn't realize that i'm always numbing out like i would say i can't feel anything i'm numb i'm numb so i decided the other day that i'm gonna allow myself to feel
1: mm-hmm.
2: i thought i was having a heart attack i'm like i'm having heart attacks now
1: yeah Legit so,
2: heart attacks one of the things that we it doesn't it, it's not passing
3: and it can feel really overwhelming right it so, feels like death yeah exactly like it's overtaking and yeah. yeah. One of the things that we do, um, a lot of our clinicians here at Triune Therapy Group are trained in what's called somatic experiencing work, or we call them the trim and the crim models. And these models help people do exactly what you just said, but in very titrated ways. So we call it pendulation. We wanna learn how to tolerate those feelings in small doses so that gradually, we can build up our tolerance to feeling those feelings. Because if you just like go in and you rip the band-aid off, like fuck, that's super overwhelming. I can see that, right? I have my box. Okay, toolbox. (laughs) Your what box? I call my toolbox for
2: when I get overwhelmed. Like I have my tools that I use to, like when it comes too much. Yeah. That I go there.
3: Totally. So we want to we want to build up that tolerance by going kind of in and out of the sensation in a way that allows our body to build up reserves so that it's not so overwhelming. Because you don't want to flood with those feelings. That's when it does feel unbearable and overwhelming and like it could be death. Yeah.
0: God. So I'm of the belief that, and maybe this is just part of a disassociation, but I, I honestly believe that these experiences that we have as ch- children and like some men- the mental health issues that are developed from the traumas, like borderline, mm-hmm. can really become superpowers in a way.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Is, that, is that insane to believe?
3: no I mean I don't know what you mean by that when you say
0: well okay I'll give you I'll give my first vision Mm -hmm. because I believe that I know for a fact that we all have spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. I know for a fact we do Um, but the very first vision I ever got was after being molested okay every trauma traumatic experience I've ever had what made me not go over the edge was this belief in this in this vision that I would get that showed me what was possible Mm -hmm. um and that's why I didn't give up that was the belief but also this insane empathic ability that I have to feel and to see other people's hurt in what they get to use yeah I I think that that's a superpower in a way it's it's it allows for for so weird, for like as incapable of love as I've always felt in my life, I have this need to love, burning desire to love and a heart for people that even when I was hurting myself and hurting other people, I still had this heart for others where I would fight like hell and all I ever cared about was helping people. I didn't care about money, I didn't care about a job, I didn't care about any of those things, but serving. Right, right. I think that that's a gift.
3: It is a gift. And it's part of what I consider um, the resilience that is born out of trauma. And as we're healing, we get to grow. And there's a saying in the therapeutic world and, and in the recovery rooms that hurt people hurt people. And I think that's true. When we're not addressing our trauma, we end up taking it out and taking out our frustrations and our dysregulation on other people. But also hurt people help people. And so we're able to access deep empathy, as you said, for ourselves, for other people, as we embark on those healing journeys. Now, we are human beings, and that means that we are messy by nature. So this is not a perfect process, and there's often a lot of you know, staggered growth and regressions in healing, and that's to be expected. But what I think can be the superpower of complex trauma or borderline personality organization is that you do have the ability to access you know, incredible incredible depth of feeling and love and um, Healing and resilience if you allow yourself to go there and really allow yourself to feel the feelings that you need to feel in order to build tolerance for them and that is Incredibly strengthening when we can start to access our own internal strength by testing that and and living in it and recognizing that the emotional feelings that we have are waves they come and go and when we can learn how to tolerate them, we can really become far more regulated and that creates so much more strength and the ability to then scaffold for other people who are a little bit further behind in their own trajectory of healing.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've done I, I, and continue to do so much work. I mean, I spend a lot of extra time in building my armor, as I call it. Um, and when I do feel triggered, I typically come on here and talk about it, like as it's happening. Yeah, like, cool. I remember when my passenger was telling me that he was going to get me one way or another mother effer and he was taunting me and like placing these visual images of, ve- no, I didn't want to commit suicide. It was detailed visuals of me doing it right. that he was planting in my head just to haunt me. And I remember getting through that moment and just feeling so, in like, the it was torture going through it, but I went here on the show to talk about it in a way that because I knew that the one thing that this little bugger doesn't like is he doesn't like the light. Exactly. And that is how I've chosen to live my life is just, I mean, to, the, <laughs> to maybe the annoyance of some, but I've chose to put a spotlight on my, my monster because it's the only thing I feel like keeps me safe, mm-hmm. but also it's working for me. Like I'm thriving in my life right now. Like I'm thriving and I'm about to sit like sore where before it was constantly sabotaging. It was constantly tre- trying to wreck my life.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: now I don't have, I don't live that way anymore. Like I live a no- as normal of a life as someone like me can possibly live. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy. Like even when I get the attacks, I know I can, I know that it doesn't have that power over me.
3: Right. Well, and I think that's something so key to really focus on is that whatever um, mental health afflictions people struggle with, usually shame is a huge component Mm -hmm. of that. And that's especially true with someone who has more of a borderline organization, because, again, it's born out of a lot of complex trauma. And when there's trauma, we often feel a lot of shame. And so one of the things that I talk about with patients all the time and that I know they really preach in a lot of the recovery rooms is that when we're feeling shame, we need to tell the truth and tell it faster and lean into it because exactly what you said, you know, when you shine light on those little monsters, they don't like it and they go away. And there's so much power in the community of sharing that and getting a reality check that like, hey, we're all humans and we all feel things. And it doesn't make you a bad person just because you have had this experience. Sure. And so when we are able to reduce our shame, we're able to you know, take the shackles off of whatever feels inhibiting in our world. And that's really powerful and a huge component of building resilience and healing.
0: It's the only thing I've known to work for me because what? I don't want to take the medication. I've done a lot of different therapies. This has been the thing that's worked for me. And by, I do, I mean, like, I'm so encouraged by this conversation because I've been to people that were specialists in BPD. And I got to tell you, uh, no, <laughs> not, I, do, I did not feel very safe with them. Mm. And, you know, but I can, I, I'm encouraged by this conversation because now I want to schedule an appointment. But, so I, I don't want to spend the whole time on this, and we I, I want to respect your time because you are a doctor <laughs> um, in the middle of her practice day. Um, tell me some of the different things, like you know what your what your company, what your practice is doing, the kind of people that you love to work with, and really just what separates you guys from everybody else.
3: Yeah, thank you for that chance to talk a little bit about what we do. So at Try and Therapy Group, my business partner Lauren Dummett and I really focus on treating all different kinds of traumas and what is born out of trauma and usually those things consist of um addiction issues and we work with people who have all different kinds of chemical or behavioral addiction issues we specialize in treating sex and love addiction issues and any kind of codependence or relational dependence issues where people are in relationships in a way that feels destructive for them and they have a hard time getting out or getting traction for healthier um, interactions. So we also work with people who are struggling with any kind of disorder, eating patterns or body image issues. And then we focus on treating all different kinds of sexual issues from sexual trauma to perpetration to sexual dysfunction and sexual health and, and lifestyle choices. And we're very sex positive practice and want to help people um, live a very empowered and safe and healthy um, sex and relational life which bleeds into our next area of expertise, which is around relationships. So we help people um, repair relationships with family members, with friends, or improve their relational functioning at work or with their romantic partners. And we're really about creating connection and empowerment and a place where people can feel safe and untethered to any shame or historical issues that have kept them from thriving in their fullest potential. Um, so that's really our area of expertise and we have so many different amazing programs from coaching programs that people can do in person or online that are um, 12 weeks long they focus on things like learning dialectical behavioral therapy skills which is great if you're struggling with borderline personality disorder these tools are tangible and they help people implement behavioral changes in the moment which is awesome um we also work with people around uh, getting initial recovery from any kind of addiction issue. Uh, We work with people who are healing from toxic relationships or betrayal. We have a 12-week coaching program for anger management, because there's a lot of anger right now in our world. Um, We're also uh, known for some of our groups, and we have healthy relationships groups for men and for women. We also have what's called a Revive and Thrive group. And this group, I'm so passionate about. So I created it, gosh, 10 years ago when i was working in the prison systems and i wanted to create a program that helped the women i was working with at the time identify different um, behaviors that were related to earlier sexual and relational trauma um, and help them regulate more effectively so they could get a handle on some of their um, you know difficult behaviors that they were exhibiting in the prison system so we've adapted that and now the program is so awesome it's 12 weeks long and it's for women and each week it focuses on some kind of education about how trauma impacts different domains of women's lives we address topics from things like how it impacts our identity construction and how we see ourselves how it identif- um, how it impacts our uh, relationships socially romantically how it impacts sexuality how it impacts our capacity for work and achievement parenting spirituality um, food and body image related issues and so on and then there's group support and then there's a gentle yoga practice with a style of yoga called trauma sensitive yoga that was designed specifically to help people be more embodied in a way that feels safe autonomous and honors whatever limits and internal cues they're receiving in their body which as you might know someone who has experienced a trauma often kind of lives a separate life. You know, we, we kind of like live up here in this sort of cerebral understanding and have a hard time connecting with what's going on in our heart and our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. This program is about integrating those two so people can be more balanced. Um, so that's an amazing program that we have to offer. And we offer, of course, individual therapy, couples therapy, and we do a lot of different intensives for people who are trying to heal from various kinds of addiction issues or um, trauma issues. So we can customize those to suit people's time frames, financial resources, and their goals. It's a really exciting program.
0: I think it's amazing. I'm going to put the links for all that stuff in, your, in the comments for the radio audience and social media audience, because I, I think the world of you already. I, don't, I feel this overwhelming sense of safety with you, and I can't explain it. We've never met. And I don't. I, I, that doesn't happen very often.
3: Well, I appreciate that. I feel very honored that you feel safe.
0: Oh. I mean, I, I don't know. I wish you had a program for men.
3: <laughs> we have lots of programs for men.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, because I wanna like I'm seriously about I'm gonna book an appointment. Because I here's the thing. I I my capacity to love is growing by the healthier I feel like I get, the stronger I get, the more I retrain my triggers, my capacity to love keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And like I just want to love. I just want to serve. I I I I feel so I feel like a powerful mother trucker. Nice. Now that I can stay in my body more, I can tell this guy to go away and like I I, I feel stronger. Mm-hmm. And yet I have no evidence of a healthy relationship in my entire life. And I've taken this has been it's been a month and a half since I've been alone and I'm not dating. I'm 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 really really working on me and like getting to this place that I get to be. Mm-hmm. But As every day that goes by, I feel stronger. And then my desire to want to have a healthy relationship grows. My desire to have a family grows as I do that, yet I still don't know if I have the tools to do all that stuff. And I want to have those tools
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: I don't want to react. I I want to be able to trust. Or like I want to think like a healthy person (laughs) when it comes to relationships. So I have these tools. But you're the first doctor I've ever talked to that I felt Oh yeah, okay, this is safe.
3: Hmm. Okay, well that's really key that you find a provider that you can align with and really do feel safe and supported by so that they can help you achieve your vision for life and align with your own values and really get in sync, you know, between the wants and the desires and the actions that are needed to get there. I mean, it's huge. Awesome. Can you
0: can you tell me why um I don't know if you can answer this, but why cocaine or meth would have made me feel normal because that's why I fell in love with it. I, 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 Honest to God, I felt normal when I, I don't party anymore, but when I was doing that, part of the feeling was I feel normal.
3: Yeah. So let me, let me think about how I want to answer that.
0: <laughs> I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I promise. No, no. Okay.
3: Um, <laughs> it's a good question because a lot of people feel that way. And oh. I just want to think about how to, be concise. Um, So let me back up and and give a little bit of psychoeducation. We all have what's called a window of tolerance, right? And so when our nervous system is well calibrated, we're operating in this kind of mid range in our window of tolerance, meaning that we can experience emotions in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming and we don't feel too jacked up and we don't feel too depressed. But if our nervous system gets, knocked out of sync for whatever reason, we can get what's called hyper aroused. And that's when our nervous system, the sympathetic part of our nervous system feels um, overactive. And so we feel anxious, we feel scared, we might have a lot more anger or irritability, we might go into obsession, You know, and it feels like our foot's on the gas, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But conversely, if our nervous system is under we go into a state of hypo arousal, and that means that the parasympathetic nervous system is over engaged and that is the part of our nervous system that's responsible for pumping the brakes so when the gas and the brakes are aligned we're in our window of tolerance but if they're not and and you're feeling too understimulated, that usually looks like depression dissociation feeling anhedonia or a loss of pleasure a loss of interest in things it feels more like Existential or lethargic um, kind of death or or just like all the winds out of our sails Do you like that clinical? (laughs) Um, So oftentimes when people are experiencing that kind of depression any kind of stimulus that is dopaminergic or um, uh, Activating brings them into a state of that window of tolerance, right? So if you're operating down here in this parasympathetic overdrive, right. cocaine brings you up and helps you feel normal because it's a stimulant. That's where a lot of things like Adderall, Vyvanse and other and, and methamphetamine, cocaine can feel really um, stabilizing for people. The problem is that oftentimes people overshoot and then their sympathetic nervous system gets overactivated, and they start swinging too high and too low because they're trying to play pharmacy with these drugs in their brain and they're over and underestimating. And so it can become really problematic then. And yep. plus, you know, the drugs, when, when we're on those kinds of substances, the withdrawal can then send you into a tailspin of being over or under activated as well. So it feels stabilizing in the moment and then leaves a wake of long-term consequences.
0: Yep, have those. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, the decisions, a lot of the decisions that I've made uh, mm-hmm. in my life have come from taking it too far.
1: Yeah.
0: Not knowing when to quit because I I didn't like the way the medications I was given made me feel. Mm-hmm. And so when I was like, oh, okay, I'll do cocaine or I'll do meth. And right. it, then I was like, oh, I feel normal. But then I was like Ray, Ray Lolita in Goodfellas when he's running from the helicopter because he did too much blow. And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, what's going on? Like, I became that guy. Yeah. But I, at the same time, I didn't stop because I still wanted to go back to that place of feeling normal. Well,
3: and, and what you're describing is a, a bit of a tolerance, right? So over time, we need more and more of a substance or more and more of a dopaminergic behavior mm-hmm. to achieve that same kind of, oh, this feels good or, wow, this is the high I've been looking for. And so people, again, are chasing that and it creating a dependence in their brain that actually sets them back.
0: Wow, okay, I have one more question um, because I wanna be respectful of your time. And again, I'm so grateful for your time. Oh, I love you. Uh, so, there's a lot of people out there that are in relationships right now where they're quote unquote the normal one and they're dating somebody that has borderline or you know they're bipolar. Can you just address this? Is I know the answer, but, well, no, 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 wait. Hold on a what is? If, if, is it possible to have a, a functioning, normal, healthy relationship when you have somebody that has something like borderline or, you know, they're bipolar with a, quote, unquote, normal person? Is it possible for them to have a healthy relationship?
3: So, first of all, I hate the word normal, so I'm going to just strike that on the record. Okay because i don't know how anybody defines that we are all diverse creatures and we all come with our own ebbs and flows and ups and downs so there's no perfect normal um, person and there's no like healthy person and unhealthy person so when i think about relationships what i'm thinking about and what i'm assessing when i'm working with couples is how secure is their functioning now i've worked with many people who have borderline personality disorder narcissistic personality disorder um post-traumatic stress disorder anxiety depression ocd you name it it doesn't really matter what someone's mental health diagnoses may or may not be it's about how able and um willing is the couple to make their coupleship the number one priority and engage with each other in a way that allows them to regulate themselves and then use each other in the coupleship to co-regulate and when couples can do that Then we say that they have a secure functioning and so that's really what i'm looking for when i'm working with couples is how can i get them to readily become the experts on each other so they can stay more regulated and then more productive and effective in the way they communicate with each other and so again i I don't think that someone who has a borderline personality organization or symptoms of the condition is um kind of think it's useful to label them as, you know, the, the problem in a relationship, because it's, it's just not the case. Um, you know, we pick each other for a reason. And so where there's one, there's the other. And so we have to ask, like, what are we both getting out of this? How do we communicate together in a way that helps us be constructive and preserve the functioning of our coupleship? Because human beings are hardwired for connection. And what that means is that when we're in a relationship with someone, it serves us well to make the coupleship our most important priority because when we can preserve the coupleship, then we can stay in relationship and that allows us to feel safe and functional as individuals and really create a pattern of interdependence, which means, you know, I can show up for you, you can show up for me, I can take care of myself, you can take care of yourself, but we're okay leaning on each other and you know getting some of our human dependency needs met because we all have human dependency needs we're just not these little robots running around like oh i can function on my own it's yeah even people who show up that way have deep dependency needs and so when i work with couples it's about helping them learn each other's language so they can be more functional together
0: i freaking love it i know even the one thing now that i'm really learning how to have intimate Friendships, because mm-hmm. I've always kept everyone at an arm's distance because I didn't want people to see the other side
1: mm-hmm.
0: of what I sometimes get to deal with. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm allowing people to see that side now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now that I have these intimate relationships, the one thing that I practice is radical honesty and transparency.
1: Yeah. Like, even if
0: it's like borderline, uh, maybe offensive or could be inappropriate. I have to say it because, mm-hmm. and not not to too offend, but I need to say it because if I pr- ever pr- allow one little grain of dishonesty dishon- to slip into a relationship, I know then I can go back to the other way, right. which is living in shadows, living in secret, living a double life, lying. Like I ha- I'm like over the top about being open and authentic now.
3: Yeah, that's the only
0: way I know how to feel safe for myself. So,
1: is that
3: awesome? Because rigorous honesty is what's required in order to be really vulnerable. And we can only achieve love and connection if we're willing to be vulnerable. And that sometimes means being willing to risk being hurt. And the thing is, like, people sometimes have this delusion that being in a relationship is going to be the most wonderful thing ever and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be free of any conflict. And that's just all BS. Because the reality is, is the people we are closest to are the people that have the most likelihood to hurt us. Not intentionally, not because we're like maniacally sitting around thinking like, wow, how can I mess up my partner today? (laughs) (laughs) We'll do that, but that's a different issue. But we're just kind of stumbling through our lives and we don't understand how we might misstep or misread what our partner is saying or needing or doing, and we're not always being willing to talk about what we need or what we want or what's going on for us. And so the reality is we're gonna disappoint each other, we're going to hurt each other, and that's to be expected. The question is how quickly and how readily can you be accountable for that and show up and clean up the mess that you make with your partner? And when you can clean up really well, that's when you have a strong, secure function. It's not about expecting never to hurt, never to disappoint, never to misstep, It's wow i've got to get my shovel and get in the dirt right now so we can make this okay and when we can do that it's good stuff
0: you're freaking amazing do you have anything
3: i'm so out of my body
2: that i'm just like trying to take this all in because I'm oh like, okay i'm booking <laughs> I'm for an just,
0: appointment too i'm like
2: can i come now <laughs> I can
0: right. we're, we're, so for the radio audience if somebody's wanting to book an appointment with you will you give your phone number
3: Yes. Not your
0: cell phone number, your office number to schedule.
3: Yes. So for anybody who wants to book an appointment with any of our amazing clinicians at Triune Therapy Group, they can call us at 310 933 4088. You can also check out our website at triunetherapy.com. That's T R I U N E therapy.com. And we also have a podcast called Behind Closed Doors with Dr. Kate and Lauren, where we talk about all different kinds of issues related to mental health, addiction, sex, and relationships, really again to reduce stigma and try to get people access to information about stuff they don't even know they don't know. So, yeah.
0: what I, one of the things that we didn't get into, um, that I would lo- actually love to have you back on, I would actually like to have you in, in studio sometime. Um,
1: absolutely,
0: because I want to get into there's another area that you like, safe kink. Yeah, in healthy relationship I I, I I want to go down this road with you but for a different show <laughs> uh, listen uh, doctor i I'm, I'm a huge freaking fan I'm so thank you so much for coming on I, I think that you helped a lot of people um, intrigued interest I, I definitely want to do this again but you are a blessing and I'm so grateful for you thank you.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me. This was really fun, and I'm happy to come on anytime and and I really love what you're doing. I think you know you keeping it real is what allows other people to get honest with themselves too, and that's how we can cultivate change.
0: Amen. thank you so much.
3: Thank you take care guys you bye. Too. see you soon.
0: bye, bye. oh wow
2: <laughs> My heart is like.
0: So I don't know, Um, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Thank you, Heather, for saying it's an amazing show. (laughs) Honestly, I could have talked to her for four hours. Um, Wow, I'm so grateful that she came on the show. I I have to tell you something, and I'd love to know your opinion, but I've never talked to a psychiatrist or a, a, a psychologist in my life that I was like, yeah, I trust this person. Like there was always something off. I trusted her. I felt safe. What about you?
2: I felt safe with her. I've had a, so, I've had a mix of both trusting and not trusting. So my original therapist, who I saw for what fifteen years, mm-hmm. I trusted her, but when I I always would leave something out because I didn't want to get in trouble. Like I would leave things about sex out and and about drinking. Like I wouldn't tell. And then like back on, I'm like, I didn't tell you that. She's like, No. I'm like, What the hell was I in therapy then? <laughs> <laughs> what was I doing with you? But I, I saw a few trauma doctors that totally turned me off. Mm-hmm. One of them forgot my story in the middle of it. We were doing EMDR and she said to me, why are you sticking it for your dad? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, why are you sticking it for your dad? And I was like, what are you talking about? He abused you, I was like, no he didn't! What are you talking about, it was my uncles! She's lucky that I'm stable because they can plant seeds in your mind.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing too. I don't know how many of you, um out there that have worked with a psychiatrist or a psychiatrist, psychi- psychologist or psychiatrist, but where you felt like they were planting things in your head. That was one of the reasons why I didn't trust yeah. everyone I've been to. Is like, Oh, let me give you this medication. I'm going, oh, God, mm-hmm. but the planting things. And that is the hardest thing too. She was talking about disassociation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was one of the hardest things. I think that, that even in relationships or friendships is knowing is this person have my best interest at heart. Yeah. Like I've often joked around. Like if you've ever seen some of my Facebook posts, I'll talk about like needing a babysitter. It what that means is is a filter to say, yeah, you can trust that person, or <laughs> what they're saying is right. And because I can't just take advice from anybody.
2: I would say I need an adult.
0: You need an adult. I always
2: say I need an adult. I'm like, I need an adult. I've been singing I just need an adult.
0: If I ever get, if I ever get famous for any reason, I'm going to hire my mom to manage me because she's like the one person I know. I mean, I have other people in my life that I trust now.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like I trust you. Yeah. Crazy person. <laughs> I trust a few people now, but ultimately, my mom is the one who I trust most. And like, I swear, I'm going to hire her to manage because. Even if I don't always agree with her, I know what she's telling me is coming from the right place.
2: Yeah, safety. Like, what do I always talk about with you? Safety. I'm always like, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. And then when I feel safe, I'm like, oh I'm safe. Yeah. Like I crave to feel safe and I don't and when I don't feel it, it's the most awful feeling in the entire world.
0: And and here's the thing, and safety, I, I want to address this issue because we I both I deal with this too. Is I can and I'm not saying anything bad about my my marriage at all, except it just didn't work. But one of the problems was I didn't feel safe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there was re- specific reasons why, and I'm not going to go into that because it's it's really, I can't really blame her for that. But there was a couple of things that happened that made me feel unsafe. And that for me, I don't, can't turn around from that. Mm-hmm. I can't, once I don't feel safe, I'm done.
2: One lie, and I can't.
0: Or, or ab- abandonment, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. or or or, yeah. or mm-hmm. going back on something that was said that that really mattered, that yeah. was important. Mm-hmm. That
2: you said you would, you said you would. So why are you taking it back?
0: Exactly. Oh, and it's yeah. a,
2: my heart hurts thinking about. That's exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah. How many? I'm curious. How many people, do, you know, experience that? And again, that is something. I don't know if that's unique to borderline. Would she call it? She wasn't calling it borderline personality disorder. She was calling it something else. She's calling it parts or something like that. Um system. Yeah, I've never heard of what she was talking about. It's a trauma
2: thing. Yeah. What do you call it? Like feeling abandoned, trauma, codependency. Everything we talk about is mostly like complex post traumatic stress syndrome. Mm -hmm. Because it's all motion dysregulation. It's all like you think one thing, but this that's not really reality.
1: Yeah.
2: And until like when it's identified it's you can understand, but it's usually just complex PTSD and people don't know about complex PTSD. They think just PTSD, oh, I'm seeing this video in my mind. It's like, no, actually, I'm in this moment right now, I'm so angry at you, but you didn't do anything But I'm just really sad inside. Yeah. And you don't understand.
0: Yeah. Well, what was also encouraging, I thought, was that she said that really having mental illness, and I, I don't know how many of you are now, just now joining that are seeing this live, but she was taught, I asked her the question about people with borderline personality disorder or, you know, the bipolar or other mental health challenges. Like, is it possible for them to have a healthy relationship with a normal person? And I probably should have framed that question more for someone that doesn't have a mental illness. But the answer was, yeah. Really, she made it sound like that's not a factor. Because in the end, it's about being honest. It's about being authentic. It's about being open. Sometimes there's things that there's um, some extraordinary measures that need to be taken place, boundaries that need to be created. But that's all stuff in a normal relationship. Right. Like she honestly made it sound like mental illness is not that big of an issue. It's just you get to maybe take some extra precautions.
2: Yeah, I feel like we just feel extra all the time. Yeah. Because we're so used to living extra. Like, oh, so extra. We don't even need it. Like we don't even meet it, but it's just like we're just extra. It's like just comes along with it. Just like she said, we're, we're living in like fantasy reality. It's just like everything's so extra. If,
0: but if 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 so here's not the in thing. a bad way though. I yeah, because I wanna I wanna say this too. Like if we live in a fantasy world part of the time, isn't it true? Like you they people talk about when well, you imagine the world that you want to create, and if you take action. So, like, say I'm living in a fantasy world, but yet I have these big dreams of what I get to create. Then what's to keep me from doing it? Like, I'm not going to grow. I'm not pretending to be a, a, a freaking unicorn. Like, I'm not going to grow a, a snout. Like, I have a big dream, a big vision that I feel like that was whether it was born through trauma or not. But aren't they, don't they say it's the crazy ones that think they can change the world that do? Yeah. Well, I'm crazy enough to believe it. Same. So that's not a bad thing either. So that's another reason why I say that mental illness can be a superpower. It's just how you frame it.
2: Yeah. And you know, there's, now I'm just out of my body. I think I had three things to say about that. One, like people always, so from a personal level, like people think I'm crazy. I went across the country and I just moved and then I moved out of my apartment. Like they think that's crazy, but I'm like, no, it's just the next step to get to where I need to be. You get to be. Yeah, I get to be.
1: Yeah, you get to be.
2: It's like, I don't think it's crazy at all, but I just think it's what it's meant to be. And you create your own reality. What The only way you can create your own reality is if you do it. Yeah. Right? And I just think we're all born, like I feel like I just knew since I was little. I just knew God, I've always had strong faith. And I always say I have every reason not to have faith. God was always used against me by my abusers. God will get you. God will get you. Your
0: abuser said
2: that? Yeah god will get you even on a t-shirt they um found two years ago they wrote god knows the truth on my sexual assault t-shirt so i have i'm like i have every reason not to believe in god but i believe in god so much more because of those things that's why i just go for it. it always works out god
0: man well you're a whole other show we gotta get it I, i'm a series I'm, I'm, you, you are you're i swear to you, you're more of a series than i am uh listen everybody thank you so much for joining the show um if you're watching from the beginning or you're watching just now joining us you know, i can't even talk uh the doctor was amazing uh this is well worth watching uh god bless you guys thank you so much for joining gabby give me last words
2: thank you for having me
0: yeah do you want to get, shout out your instagram and your Eight hundred thousand followers.
2: Yeah, I don't have that many followers, so he's being extra. See? I'm extra. Uh, it's G A B C A C C. Gabcatch. Oh. And that's me.
0: Okay.
1: All right. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>